Here at the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, September the 11th is an important date. Yes, because 9-11 is of course the birthday of our dear friend Nick, who famously, back in 2001, said nothing interesting ever happens on his birthday. Hmm. Now, New Zealand Standard Time makes Nick's statement about the date September the 11th occur roughly the day before what happened in New York. Because time zones are weird and need to be standardised, but that is a matter for another time. However, it is notable that virtually no conspiracy theory about 9-11 involves Nick as a salient cause of the event. But on this, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks... And 20 years since Nick made his outrageous claim... This ought to change. Now, we're not saying Nick isn't the real mastermind behind both Al-Qaeda and the W presidency. But we're also not dismissing the possibility that perhaps Nick, in a drunken fugue state post-reveling on his birthday, accidentally orchestrated the whole affair. Frankly, what we need is a fresh investigation. Get onto those boys in New York who are setting up that new grand jury. For too long, the New Zealand connection to 9-11 has been overlooked. Admittedly, if we look too hard, then maybe some other stuff will come out? Such as? Well, weren't you with Nick when he made that claim? Well... And is it not true that you too do not remember what happened that incredibly drunken night? Uh... And didn't you have some very unusual credit card debts to pay off at the end of September? You know, now I think about it, it's fairly clear that Nick is not responsible for 9-11 at all, because... Uh, because Josh, help me out here. Uh, because we have a new patron, and we think it's awfully suspicious that they would choose to become a patron on this, our well-advertised-in-advance special episode of 20 Years of 9-11 Conspiracy Theories. So, Michael... If indeed that is your real name... Oh, it is. We got the patron email and everything. So, Michael, expect to hear from the lawyers for 9-11 Inquiry, who I'm sure are entirely fixated on proving 9-11 was an inside job and, and, and not, not... Oh. Oh? Yeah, they've pivoted to COVID-19 as part of the globalist plot. You know, it must be disappointing to be an academic who goes around saying conspiracy theorists aren't all cliched tinfoil hat-wearing weirdos and then have to deal with the fact that the prominent ones kind of are. Yeah, believe me, it's not fun at parties. It's not fun at parties at all. Mm, unlike Michael, who I believe throws a great party. And might have been responsible for 9-11. Unlike Nick. No. Nick and I definitely did not make 9-11 happen. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Malolele, and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. It is, uh, 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 I was going to say a nice day, but it's the evening now. Um, here in Auckland, during Tongan Language Week, a uh, good thing about having primary school-aged children is that you always know when it's Tongan Language Week or Samoan Language Week. I think we had a New Aean Language Week at one point, and obviously Maori Language Week, which is a month, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, the point is, uh, yay Tonga. Um, all that aside, my name is Josh Addison, uh, here in Auckland, still under lockdown. They are Dr. M. Dentith in Zhuhai, China, not under lockdown. Uh, but now, the one thing we do both have in common is that we're both vaccinated. It's so that's true. Nice. I've been double jabbed. Have you been double jabbed? Have Actually, you had, no. I've... Have, have you had two pricks, Josh? No, I've only had the one. I've had my, I've had my first wee 
wee brush with the vaccinator's needle. You've had your first wee prick, and you're waiting for your yeah, second wee prick. Yeah, had my first prick. wee prick, yep. But the, the, next, the next prick is scheduled to come along in a few weeks. There's always a prick who comes along in a few weeks. I mean, that's just the way that Western society works. Yep. There's always another prick else. around the corner. Sometimes it's you. Wow, uh, wow. So, well, actually, sorry. Mm. I really, we, we, have, we have a button for this. Well, we, we have a... Yeah, it's not really. It, it has the same oh, rhythm sorry. as a wah wah wah, but uh, yes, I think I think we really need the full grab bag of cliched sound effects. I think we need a wah wah wah, and uh, maybe maybe some sort of a, a thunder, sort of lightning bolt, thunder crash thing, and a cat screeching also, just because that's that's that sounds. I, 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 I'm I'm ready to chuck this whole preamble in, quite frankly, because I don't think it's going to plan. I think we should shoot straight ahead into the main part of this episode. Fair enough. I have only one question mm-hmm. for you. It's mm-hmm. Tongan Language Week back home. Is it Tongan Language Week everywhere? I always get confused about these things. I mean, Mother's Day and Father's Day all occur on different days around the globe. Tongan Language Week is that a Tongan language week only in Aotearoa, New Zealand, or is it a Tongan language week everywhere? Well, yes, I don't know. Presumably in, in Tonga, every week is, is Tongan language week. Uh, I, I think possibly only in New Zealand. I don't know. Hmm. hmm. I say, hmm. Worthy of further investigate investigation. This. You know what else is worth further investigation? Your mum. Yes, and also the 9-11 attacks. Go. All right, well, it's all right. Let's, let's play that sting. Yeah. So, yes, obviously uh, we are recording this on the um, 9th of September, but that means in two days it will be the 11th of September 2021, making it the 20th anniversary of the September 11 attacks. And we can't, we, we can't not talk about an event like that, but um, there's a little bit, when we, were, when we were discussing this earlier, we kind of thought what, what more is there to say? We've devoted multiple episodes of this podcast to 9-11 conspiracy theories. You sort of your, your bog standard truthy stuff. We've looked at building, we did a whole episode on building seven conspiracy theories. We did a whole episode on loose change. Um, and when we've done news episodes and there have been developments in, in 9-11 news, we've kept you abreast of those. So we're quite sure what else um, we could say, but then we thought maybe, maybe, we could get academical. Academical? My, on this podcast? In Never. these pants? In this time of year, at this part of the country, localised entirely into your kitchen. Introduce the boys to steamed hams memes on YouTube. We've been going through that quite a bit. Uh, but yes, no, so because uh, we've been looking, we've spent the, the last year, I think, or thereabouts, um, looking back at the conspiracy theory literature, well, it's actually um, been more than a year, Josh. Yeah, I think it has been more than, been a, more year. than a year. Yeah, yeah, we've we've been at it a while now, um, and over that time, we've sort of seen nine eleven uh, pop up, and so we thought maybe it would be good to have a look at how much of an effect the September eleven attacks had on conspiracy theory literature, because like it, it feels like it must have been significant. It, it, it feels like nine eleven is now the king of conspiracy theories, where in the past you might have said it was the, the, the JFK assassination or the moon landing conspiracy theories. Or Watergate. Theories. 
or Watergate. Yep. 9-11 seems to have knocked them all off their perch, but um, how much of an effect has it had on the actual uh, literature? Has, has there been more of an interest? I think the question I asked on Twitter a little while ago when we were discussing this was, would you now be an associate professor if 9-11 had never happened and theoretically brought about more interest in conspiracy theories? I mean, it's curious for the sheer fact that up until the Trump presidency, by and large, most philosophers didn't understand why I'd want to study conspiracy theories at all. Once Trump became the prominent Western example of a politician who traded largely in conspiracy theory rhetoric as a way of convincing or controlling his audience, suddenly people go, oh, this is quite quite interesting. So I don't know that 9-11 actually had much of an effect on the careers of people who study conspiracy theories at all. I think the recent burgeoning of the literature has been more Trump taking the Orban playbook and making it kind of his rhetorical device. So in many respects, I don't know that 9-11 is as big as maybe people make it out to be, which is kind of a hint as to what we're going to see when we look at the literature in depth mm. towards the end of this episode. And certainly it, it, it became a bit of a theme, a bit of a running joke almost as we went through these papers to begin with, because obviously the, the literature kind of started in the 1990s, pre-September pre 11. Um, but then once we started looking at papers in, in sort of 2002, 2003, we, we, we were a little surprised initially um, that it didn't seem to be coming up much. I think we, 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 it was notable the first time a paper that we looked at um, mentioned 9-11, and that, I believe, was when we looked at David Cody's Conspiracy Theories and Official Stories from 2003. We did that back in episode 278. Um, but, the, but even then, it was, um, it was mentioned, but 9-11, actual 9-11 truth conspiracies weren't mentioned at all. It was just 9-11 um, was brought up as an example of uh, a, th a thing that appears to be the result of a conspiracy, but a lot of people w would hesitate to call it a conspiracy. I mean, it was basically, basically one paragraph in that paper which read... Um, Take the events of September 11th, 2001. I assume that most people, or at least most people reading this article, accept an explanation of these events that appeals to the significant causal agency of a conspiracy involving Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda to bring about these events. But this explanation is unlikely to attract the label conspiracy theory. Why does it seem wrong to call our explanation of September 11th, despite its obviously conspiratorial nature, a conspiracy theory? So, I mean, not, not in the context of 9-11 of truth or anything like that at all, just simply this was um, David Cody's uh, take on, on, on matching a definition of conspiracy theory to the more, uh, the, the way the word is more commonly used. Um, but we did say sort of multiple times that it wasn't really until Loose Change came out in 2005 and possibly not even until its second edition in 2006 that your actual, what you would call truth conspiracy theories really started to take off. So it probably wasn't a surprise that we um, didn't start seeing talk about actual 9-11 conspiracy theories um, outside of the context of everyone's a conspiracy theorist, even the official theories are conspiracy theory type arguments um, until a bit later. But but um, I, you, you though, Dr. Dentith, have done a bit of a 
bit of a literature survey from the looks of things, a bit of a, a fairly fairly comprehensive going down this list. Look at when 9-11 started coming up in the um, in the literature. So why don't you take us on a on a stroll down memory lane? I don't know. Conspir- conspiratorial the, lane? Cons- conspiracy lane and 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 tell us about the history of 9-11 conspiracies appearing in the literature. So you're right. 2005 is kind of where 9-11 trutherism as a community takes off. I'm sure there were multiple people involved in investigating the 9-11 attacks from a conspiracy theory angle in the sense of going against the official view of the time. But the community as a kind of Gisalt entity where there's a large number of people engaging in these investigations really doesn't start to emerge until four or five years after the event. So there's kind of understandable rationale as to why in 2003, David Cody mentions 9-11 conspiracy theories, but is actually having an interesting academic question about, so why don't we call the official theory of 9-11 a conspiracy theory? What's up with that? My dated Seinfeld reference goes. Mm. I mean, as someone who's never really watched Seinfeld, I don't even know why I'm doing a dated Seinfeld reference. It's very confusing. So I have a database, and in that database, I have what I take to be most of the academic literature published on conspiracy theories since about the 1990s. This is probably not the most comprehensive database. I suspect there are papers that I do not have in it. But I also suspect it's probably comprehensive enough that the following analysis is fairly accurate to what's been going on with literature. So we start to see a few mentions of 9-11 around about 2003. So there's virtually nothing in 2001. Although that's understandable, because due to publication lag, anything that was written in September of 2001 wouldn't have been published until 2002 at the earliest anyway. So I suspect the 2003 references are papers that were being written fairly close to the event and then went through peer review and eventual publication coming out two years after the event. Publication in academia is weird. The lag time between starting an article and it eventually getting to print can be anywhere between 18 months to two years for certain types of papers. And interestingly enough, the first mention of 9-11 in my database isn't actually even in an academic article. It's a paper put out by the Anti-Defamation League called Unraveling Anti-Semitic 9-11 Conspiracy Theories, which basically mentions in the paper the claim, which then goes to debunk, that Israeli companies moved out of the Twin Towers weeks before the September 11th attacks. So it's looking at a quite specific anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, one which did emerge very quickly in 2001, and explaining why it's bad. Yeah, actually, that's something I'd kind of forgotten about a little bit, really, but around uh, more more close to um, soon after the events of September 11, there were all those sort of 
I mean, basically racist conspiracy theories of one stripe or another, where you'd hear all these, yeah, these the Israeli companies all moved out, or my my Iranian taxi driver told me to stay away from the Twin Towers a, a week beforehand. There are all these suggestions that that um, various ethnic groups had had advanced knowledge of the attacks, and all completely baseless and and basically just unfortunately racist. So probably it's. Uh, good that we've forgotten about them? I don't know. Yes, although I think we do forget about anti-Semitism at our peril, given it keeps coming up again Mm. and again and again. Mm. So also in 2003, Peter Knight writes a contribution. He's a sociologist. Oh, actually, he's a I suppose technically he's actually a cultural theorist and an American studies person rather than a sociologist. Sorry, Peter. He writes a contribution to conspiracy theories in American history. And in his chapter, Making Sense of Conspiracy Theories, he references a blog post about 9-11. So it's in the citations. Doesn't actually mention 9-11 as an example of a conspiracy theory in recent American history. So in 2003... Conspiracy theories about the 9-11 attacks have not become big enough or mainstream enough to be noted in a history of conspiracy theories in America. And then, basically, we have to move on to 2006 and Charles Picton's paper, Complots of Mischief, a paper we've reviewed on this very series, mentions 9-11 as an example, but it's in the Cody sense of then going, look, it's any explanation of an event which cites a conspiracy will turn out to be a conspiracy theory. So any explanation of 9-11 will turn out to be a conspiracy theory as well. Mm. Yeah, that was, I don't know, the the earlier stages definitions were quite, um, was in a lot of cases, well, a lot of cases, were certainly very significant um, before even people started talking about it so much. There was a lot of what do we mean by a conspiracy theory and the and the arguments over does it matter that we tend to think that the official version isn't a conspiracy theory? And yeah, no, 9-11 is a good example of um, uh, of, of the phenomenon of, of official theory versus what we want to call conspiracy theory or not, as the case may be. But yeah, still not actually talking about this, the, 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 the specifics of... 9-11 conspiracy theories, and certainly not using them as an example. I mean, recall that the earliest ones we looked at, Brian L. Keeley's papers, used um, the Oklahoma City bombings um, as an example, because, of course, 9-11 hadn't happened then. But um, it would be a little while before we start hearing well, about Well, actually, no, no. So, because no? our next example is Cedric Vincent's Mapping the Invisible, Notes on the Reason of Conspiracy Theories. And this paper does mention... 9-11 conspiracy theories, because he uses as a prominent example the French journalist slash political activist Thierry Missan and the book that he wrote just after the 9-11 attacks, which was basically the first, we think that it was an inside job, or at least, sorry, we think that it wasn't Al-Qaeda who committed the attacks. We think there's some kind of, of plot. I'm fairly sure this is once again a a Jewish plot to destroy the Twin Towers style book that was written. But this is an actual explicit discussion of a 9-11 conspiracy theory in a paper. 
But let's basically get to 2006. We've got Charles and we've got Cedric. 9-11 is mentioned as a footnote in one and a major example in another. But five years after the event, it's still not turning up in the majority of papers being produced that year. Mm. And yet 2007, it looks like that's when things really get going. Yeah, so in 2007, we of course get Conspiracy Theories and the Internet, Steve Clark's paper, which is on controlled demolition theories and the way that these theories have kind of had an arrested development due to the way the Internet works. So this is a paper which uses 9-11 as its major example. And then we get a few kind of potted references to 9-11 in other papers. So Jeffrey M. Bale's uh, text, Political Paranoia versus Political Realism, it has a section on distinguishing between bogus conspiracy theories and genuine conspiratorial politics. And 9-11 is used as an example of a bogus conspiracy theory. Jack Z. Brattich, who we in- interviewed in the early days of this podcast, and his paper, A Summer of Double Se- uh, Double, d- I'll try it again. A Summer of Double Super Secrecy, Public Secret Spheres, Evidence, and Cultural Strategies. He also uses 9-11 as an example. Neil Levy's paper, Radically Socialized Knowledge and Conspiracy Theories, reviewed on this podcast uses 9-11 as a conspiracy theory, as does Shit Happens by Pete Mantic, published the same year. Another example of a 9-11 conspiracy theory is used there. And Marty Orr and Jenna Husting's paper, Dangerous Machinery, they've also been interviewed on this podcast, they use 9-11 as an example. Although in most of these cases, it's an example rather than the example. It's an example which is added to a list of conspiracy theories you might have heard about, but it isn't the major motivating example for the analysis they're trying to engage in. Mm. Unlike Peter Knight's paper, Conspiracy Theories About 9-11, which the title kind of gives away that 9-11 is a major example in this particular text. Some of these names you've been mentioning are not familiar to me. Is, is, are all of these things in philosophy specifically? No, no, you, this is, no. This is the wider literature we're looking mm. at here. So social psychology, sociology, American studies, cultural studies, history and the like. We're looking at all the lit that's been produced at this time. Mm. And so then um, in, in, the, in the years after um, 2008, it seems like there's a bit of an explosion. We've got, what, five papers and two books, 2008, six papers and two books in 2009, at least five papers in 2010. Um, so it seems things, it is becoming much more entrenched as an example. Um, but, of course, then we get 2011. So then, then, then that's the, the 10th anniversary. So how does, how does that affect things? So that's when 9-11 examples become kind of common to the literature generally. So from 2011 onwards, almost every paper that, that's on conspiracy theories is going to mention 9-11 as an example of a conspiracy theory. So in 2011, we get Conspiracy Theories and Their Truth Trajectories by Mathis Palkmans and Rhys McCold. 
and they use 9-11 as a kind of major example and they want to use it as a major example to talk about if we were to use conspiracy theory in a kind of non-pejorative gloss and talk about conspiracy theories and official theories in the same way, then that's going to change the way our conversations work around particular types of conspiratorial claims in our society. Uh, Dean Dean Battlinger releases his PhD thesis in 2011, and 9-11 is a fairly prominent example. We interviewed Dean many, many, many years ago on this podcast. Uh, Lee Basham's Conspiracy Theories and Rationality, which we recently reviewed, that Mm -hmm. uses 9-11 as a fairly major conspiracy theory within it. Uh, Then we get a few kind of passing references. So categorization and communication in the face of prejudice when describing perceptions changes what is perceived by Kevin R. Binning and David K. Sherman does mention 9-11 as an example when they're polling people on conspiracy theories. Although, interestingly enough, there are three studies that are talked about in that paper, and 9-11 only occurs in one of those studies. So it's very much an example rather than a major example that's been polled. Joven Byford's book, Conspiracy Theories, A Critical Introduction, mentions 9-11 a few times, but it's kind of more in passing. He's much more interested in historical predecessors to 9-11 than he is at looking at a contemporary conspiracy theory within his text. Conspiracist ideation in Britain and Austria, evidence for monological belief system, and associations between individual psychological differences in real world and fictitious conspiracy theories, which is authored by... And also authored by almost as many people as the length of the title alone demands, does mention 9-11 conspiracy theories, but one, the paper's actually much more on the 7-7 conspiracy theories. Britain and Austria, that would make sense. And two, when I actually looked at the references to 9-11, it's to another paper by some of the authors published that year. So... It actually turns out the 9-11 reference there is actually just a reference to earlier work by the same authors. Uh, Belief in conspiracy theories, role of paranormal belief, paranoid ideation, and schizotypy by Hannah Darwin, Nick Neve, and Joni Holmes mentions 9-11 in a list of other conspiracy theories you might have heard of. In fact, the reference occurs here. Conspiracy theories have been put forward to explain major tragic events such as the death of Princess Diana, the assassination of JFK, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, and are strongly associated with debates surrounding the NASA moon landings and alleged government cover-ups of alien visitations. So one, 9-11 is an example, and two, they're very much associating 9-11 conspiracy theories with those other wacky conspiracy theories we already know are believed by crazy people. Mm. Uh, that's, that was, that's what a psychology paper, is it? Paranormal yes. schizotypy. Yeah. Not something we've looked at much in the past, but you have suggested that the other disciplines tend to take a different view to philosophy. The other disciplines tend to take it that belief in conspiracy theories is, if not prima facie irrational, 
largely irrational and thus not worth taking seriously. So philosophers, sociologists, and anthropologists have been much more inclined to go, look, let's just use what the term conspiracy theory refers to, a theory about a conspiracy, and analyze those on a case-by-case basis. A lot of work in social psychology has got, no, conspiracy theories are mad, bad, and dangerous, and we need to work out why do people believe them nonetheless. Mm. And so I see after that we have another... Another interesting title, Does It Take One to Know One? Endorsement of Conspiracy Theories is Influenced by Personal Willingness to Conspire by Karen M. Douglas and Robbie M. Sutton. Are they... Who are the ones who wrote that paper about building seven conspiracy theories? Is that them? Uh, so, that's, so that definitely is one of them. So, And I think that was one of them or both of them with Mike Wood. Actually. So right. Karen and Robbie are a husband and wife pair. So they often have many co-authored papers together. I sometimes forget which one wrote which which particular piece. And yes, this is an interesting paper because 9-11 gets mentioned, but the major example they use is Watergate. So they're going back to a classic. Mm. 9-11 is not classic enough. What, is there a particular reason? Do they just like it more? Or is it a better illustration of the point they were wanting to make? It is a better illustration of the point they want to make because there's a certain defense of Watergate, which is, well, you know, it was, uh, Nixon was right to, to, you know, to try to bug the Democrats. I mean, he was a paranoid individual. He was scared of what his side was doing. If you're scared of what your side is doing, you're particularly scared of what the other side might be doing. So it's a great example of, of going, look, if you're Nixon and you don't trust your own group, you're definitely not going to trust the other group. And thus you're going to want to put them under as equal surveillance as you have your own side. Mm. And at this point, we've pretty much reached the point where we're at, I think, in Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre, because I see your next reference is Feldman's Counterfeit Conspiracy Theories, which is the one we looked at most recently. Indeed. In fact, very recently, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how do things go from there? Uh, so after that, we've got Counter-Knowledge, Racial Paranoia, and the Cultic Malou, Decoding Hip-Hop Conspiracy Theory by Travis Algosa. And that's a look at how some members of the African-American communities took both 9-11 conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories about the governmental response to Hurricane Katrina as examples of why the U.S. government is up to no good. We also have a future paper by Curtis Hagen, Conspiracy Theories and Stylized Facts. We'll talk about that one soon enough, so we won't cover that here. Then we've got Martha Lee's book, Conspiracy Rising, which has a chapter on anti-Semitism, and that's where she brings in discussion about 9-11. So it goes back to those early 2001-2002 conspiracy theories about how the Jews closeted the 9-11 attacks, and the evidence of that was their disappearing from the building weeks beforehand, and she goes through and fisks those views and puts them into a context of anti-Semitism over the course of the 20th century. We have the emergence of consp- uh, conspiriality by Charlotte Ward and David Vopolas, which is a paper which places 9-11 into the recent history that's recent history back in 2011, of conspiracy theories. Eva Horn's paper, Logics of Political Secrecy, 
uses 9-11 as an example. And I've managed to repeat the Karen Douglas and Robbie M. Sutton paper at the end of my list, making it look like it's one larger than it actually is. Mm. So what did you what, what what do you take from looking at this history of 9-11 throughout academic literature? The first moral, and I think the most important, is that everybody spells Al-Qaeda in a different way. There's no yes. standardized spelling. No, that's probably understandable when you're talking about words from a language that has a, a non, um, non-Latinate alphabet. You, you, when, you, when you're mapping, uh, mapping what, what's, the, what's the word even? Symbols, I guess, from a completely different alphabet onto ours. They're always... It's always uh, uh, tricky, I guess. What well, so some people, I think the the sound I usually see is Qaeda is Q A E D A, but then I have seen Q A I D A. Some do some do it with a K instead of a Q. Sometimes there's no hyphen. Sometimes um, L is capitalized. Sometimes it's not. It's all very confusing. Yeah, no, that's language for you. The other thing to note is that. We get this explosion of references to 9-11 in 2011, but it's very much an explosion of this is a conspiracy theory you've heard of, but it's not a major conspiracy theory we're going to be focusing our arguments on. Most of the references to 9-11 in 2011 places it in a list of other conspiracy theories. It's not a major example it's just one of many examples. It is kind of interesting that there's a whole bunch of examples of 9-11, sorry, of non-9-11 conspiracy theories which are taken to be bigger, like the aforementioned discussion of the Watergate conspiracy theory. It ends up being a much bigger example than 9-11 in that paper, and arguably other examples end up being bigger than 9-11 in 2011. And this kind of fits my hypothesis that even though we might think of 9-11 as being this major, major example of a conspiracy theory, it kind of isn't treated that way by academics. And I think it's because when you actually look at the polling on belief on 9-11 conspiracy theories, it's still a very marginal view. More people know about JFK conspiracy theories or Watergate conspiracy theories than they often do about 9-11 conspiracy theories. It seems like it should be big because it arguably did change the world in which we live. We travel in a completely different way now because of what happened on 9-11. But as a conspiracy, that's a political consequence of the attacks. It's not a political consequence of the conspiracy, unless of course you believe that actually the official theory is in fact a tissue of lies. So it's kind of fascinating for the sheer fact that I thought this would be a bigger topic than actually it turns out to be. Hmm. And actually that's something that just occurred to me as we were going through this that I probably should have asked um, ahead of time. Do you know when um, Joe Usinski started polling people for belief in 9-11 conspiracy theories. I think in the mid-2000s. Because, mm. yeah, that would be interesting to look at both for when it became enough of a thing to be worth asking people about and then obviously the um, 
the, the the change in belief over time. Although if, if I recall anything from the interviews we've done or you've done with Joe, that it's it's that belief in these conspiracy theories doesn't really seem to be growing much over time, does it? No, I mean, Watergate conspiracy theories seem to have a waxing, waning effect, but 9-11 seems remarkably stable. Mm. And um, you've, you've had a look through a good look through the literature there, but there are also a few of the papers that kind of are, kind of are 9-11 truth conspiracy theories masquerading as, as academic literature. I mean, you looked at the Amy Baker Benjamin one, but there have been a few others. Yeah, there's also the silence of the IR discipline paper that we looked at. There's your suspicion about the Curtis Hagen paper we looked at several weeks ago. There have been papers which do appear to be explicit defences or implicit defences of a certain 9-11 conspiracy theory. So those papers, of course, have 9-11 as a major example. But it's kind of fascinating that the ones where it's quite obviously a major example, at least in these cases, are the ones where people are trying to persuade you you should take 9-11 conspiracy theories seriously. Mm. And then I suppose perhaps we could we could look to the future. Now, you mentioned... Um... You mentioned interest in, in Trump and his sort of conspiratorial style as getting a lot of people interested in that sort of thing. I can't imagine it would be a great idea to write um, uh, academic papers about a sitting pres- uh, president, especially when there's a chance that, as, as it turned out, uh, there'd be a, a one-term president and you'd end up publishing papers towards the end of or even after the end of this person's presidency. So I don't know how much how much Trumpy stuff has affected the literature. But of course, these days, every conspiracist's bread and butter is COVID-19. So do you think COVID-19 anti-vaxxy sort of conspiracy, or either anti-vax conspiracy theories or conspiracy theories around the origins of COVID-19, will become the biggest example in the literature, or has it already happened? It has already happened. Not in philosophy. I'm not aware of any published papers this year or last year which use COVID-19 conspiracy theories as a major example. But as someone who gets notifications about new papers on conspiracy theories on a almost day-by-day basis, I can tell you there are a lot of papers on COVID-19 conspiracy theories, largely from a kind of communication studies angle of people going, look, these messages are out there. We need to know how to counteract or downplay them. There's an awful lot of how do we stop these theories from spreading online. But there is a lot of COVID-19 stuff out there in the literature as it stands. And that's also fascinating for the sheer fact that it has become a big industry within the academic literature. Now, I think that's because we have a rather burgeoning academic literature on conspiracy theories as it stands. So because there's a lot of papers being published on conspiracy theories prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, people have simply pivoted to using that as an example. And so in a kind of counterfactual history, it's possible we would have seen the same thing around 9-11 if we'd had the same kind of academic environment 
and pushed for publication in 2001 and 2002 that we do now. So we can't draw many morals about the COVID-19 pandemic papers for the sheer fact that the environment is so radically different. I imagine if we had the same environment 20 years ago, then we probably would see the same kind of literature being produced then as we are now with respect to the novel coronavirus. Yeah, although there is possibly a difference in terms of like consequence and that it, if, if, if a bunch of people believe that 9-11 was an inside job, um, apart from, from uh, arguing with you and then going back to their job as frontman of the killing joke, it, it doesn't have a massive effect, but COVID-19 conspiracy theories, especially the anti-vax kind, are actually having a, a tangible effect in the world right now, as we see that they may be partially to blame for vaccination rates being lower than they might otherwise be, which has a genuine real-world impact on the on the, the, the spread and longevity of the pandemic. So possibly they're, they're not 100% equivalent. Well, except, of course... If you are a Mehop theorist or a Lehop theorist, you will point towards what happened in the Middle East as a consequence of the 9-11 attacks and go, well, actually, there were massive real-world consequences to this story as well. I suppose that's true, yeah. There were, there were not insignificant repercussions. And indeed, yeah, given so... what's happening in Afghanistan at this very moment in time, after 20 years of occupation due to a reaction to what happened on September the 11th, 2001. Yeah, the consequences were startling. Mm, mm. Yes, I mean, th there are still grounds to be cynical there and say, yes, that was happening to, to brown people in another country, whereas COVID infects Western people with, with, with lighter con complexions, so possibly the powers that be care about that a little more. But, but yeah, no, that is an interesting point. So. We've looked, we've looked to the past, we've looked to the future. I think we're all done looking. We are, unless, mm. and this is the thought I had before we started recording, is that this will be released before September the 11th US time, probably actually before September 11th NZ time. Now, of course, in the years after September 11th in 2001, people were concerned that September 11th would become a kind of focal point for anger in the Middle East towards the US, and there could be a copycat attack. So I am hoping for a multitude of reasons that September 11th's 20th anniversary is not going to be the motivation for such an event, because otherwise the release of this episode is going to be very awkward for so many different reasons. Yes, well, fingers crossed. But yeah, I think we've, I think we've run out of things to say about 9/11's impact on the academic literature. But we haven't quite run out of things to say about 9/11 because uh, we do have a patron episode to record now, and there has actually been a little bit of of of, of what you could call recent developments, um, which we can talk about to our patrons, and of course. Um, in, in, in the theme of things that we can't not talk about, uh, there were the events of last Friday, a week ago at any rate, um, where we had uh, an, a, a smaller scale, the 9-11 attack, 
uh, in a supermarket here in Auckland, um, which, which, yeah, we, we, we probably want to discuss a bit of that as well. So if you would like to hear us talking about those topics and you're a patron, then you're in luck because you get that bonus episode just by being one. Um, if you would like to hear about one of those episodes and you're not a patron, then you can simply become one by going to Patreon and searching for the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I'm pretty sure if you just type podcasters into the search bar, our, our one is the, one of the first suggestions that pops up right like that. It's as, it's as simple as that. Um, and if you don't want to become a patron, well, that's fine as well, because you listened all the way to the end of this one. So so bless you all the same. Um, and having done our, our, our usual little little plugs at the end there, I think we're completely spent for the episode. So it simply remains for me to say goodbye. And for me to say also goodbye. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. M.R.X. Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, remember, oh December, what a night.